Hey, unless you've been under a rock, you know the NFL is back, college football is back, and the NBA Finals are underway. Prime betting season right now. It's winning season, though, at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but a little something-something on the game. Whether it's not that much, or maybe more than not that much, if you've got a hunch about something, is a lot more fun than just flipping around, oh, there's a game on. Get with my bookie. MyBookie.com, the official website to get your sweet action with this ZabeCast. Go there right now and put your deposit in. They will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. Pretty sweet, right? Plus, they've got a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry, and they're giving away five grand in cash prizes every four weeks. I mean, come on. Get in on this. It is the best leverage you'll ever get to win a big payday without having to risk losing a big payday. All that and more is at mybookie.com. Promo code ZABE. That's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Get that 100% dollar-for-dollar matchup. Sign up today and bet with the site I use, mybookie.com. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, it's all there at mybookie.com. Today on the Zabecast, pour one out for Eddie Van Halen, dead at 65, but with a massive rock legacy left behind. Ron Thomas joins me. We'll talk NBA Finals, even though ratings have cratered. Plus, we've got life returning to more NFL stadiums. All that, plus the most fascinating 30-second video clip I've seen in a long time. Your high test, not street legal, 30-minute dose of pure me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. Thank you for downloading. Let's get started. Eddie Van Halen, dead at 65 on Tuesday. What a bummer. I did not know that he had been sick for some time. He'd been battling throat cancer for almost 10 years, and he was hanging in there. But uh, he eventually, obviously, uh, succumbed to it. Another cancer had spread, and it went downhill pretty quick in the last I think a couple of months, and he leaves behind, obviously, a lot of people who grew up on Van Halen. Excuse me. Grew up on Van Halen. I grew up on Van Halen. And I will not get into the, you know, David Lee Roth versus Sammy Hagar thing because I don't have a strong feeling either way. I just know that as I was in high school and then into college in the late 80s, They were one of the first bands that I had on my Sony Walkman, you know, the old yellow clamshell plastic portable cassette tape player with the flimsiest, cheapest piece of shit headphones ever that were not comfortable. (laughs) But it was quite the miracle to be able to take with you your favorite tunes. And so... I listened to the living shit out of a lot of those Van Halen albums, and the Zabin Five played more than a few Van Halen songs, including famously Jump. We tried to play Hot for Teacher. You know the drum riff in Hot for Teacher requires a double bass or at least a double pedal setup so you can really get going with the... Why don't you just play it? Got a computer right here. Okay, well, I didn't have it up handy, but I can 
can get it up here in just a second. Let's see if YouTube is open at this uh, crazy hour. Oh, yeah, it is open. How about that? Uh, Van Halen, hot for teacher. I called uh, my best bud growing up on the mean streets of McLean, Al Nabasi, guitarist in the Zabin Five. He and I were the ones that formed the Zabin Five. And we didn't call ourselves the Zabin Five. I don't even know what our name was, per se. But he was my guitarist, and he now works. I'm very proud to say he works for Fender Guitars in Los Angeles. My boys all grown up. You know, <laughs> Al was a free spirit. By the time senior year came, Al <laughs> Al had a lot of fun in high school. Alan? <laughs> and he and I sort of parted ways to a certain extent. We parted, we didn't part ways. I mean, he lived next door to me. Here's, here's how tight me and Al Nabasi were as kids growing up. At one point when we were kids, we decided a cool thing would be to take fishing wire String it from his bedroom window, which actually faced away from mine and sort of around the corner. But we set up this little system where it had a a little wheel and a pulley around the corner of the gutter. Over to my bedroom window, which was probably a good 50 to 60 yards. So I'm talking about 150 feet. So we could then pass notes to each other (laughs) across the mean suburban streets of McLean, Virginia. And he and I played in various, you know, organized bands together in junior high and high school. But we kind of parted ways with friends groups. He was running with a bit of a faster crowd. And he went to Georgetown because his dad, uh, not because his dad was the head of pediatrics at Georgetown, because Al was is really smart and got really good grades up until his last year of senior, senior high school. But he was already in, basically. So he went to Georgetown, and he had a fucking hell of a great time. And basically got kicked out <laughs> in a semester flat. He then went to a junior college out in Arizona. He went to University of Arizona. And he's been out west ever since. He's been in adult grown-up bands that were really, really good and played gigs and recorded albums, but didn't go too far. He then got a job with Fender Guitars as one of their product development guys. And now he's living in Los Angeles working for Fender. So I heard the news of Eddie Van Halen passing away, and then I called him impromptu on my speakerphone on the radio and it was a nice little chat but we uh, tried to play hot for teacher but it was just uh too difficult oh hold on there we go by the way can you write a song now called hot for teacher somebody sent me a news story in which a female teacher, young, 20-something, was charged with having sex with a minor male student, and the last line of the story was from the student saying, and besides, it's every high school kid's dream to make it with a teacher. And I said to myself, I'm like, I'm not reading this on the air. Once upon a time, you could read stories like that and have a bit of a laugh, but in this day and age, no fucking way. People lose their minds. It's not right for uh, you know female teachers to be having sex with young male boys, and there's a reason we should prosecute them. I'm totally on board with that, but it is not the same as the other way around, in my opinion. But I got sidetracked by that. So hot for teacher Van Halen. Here we go. Waldo. Now, Waldo... I hope you find some friends this year. 
Oh, mom. You know I'm not like a nerdy kid. His mom, big glasses. I don't know if I've ever seen this video. Oh, by the way, I hope it gets to the song soon enough. No, it's probably not going to. Oh, here we go. There we go. Wait a second, man. What do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? Here comes the drums. Fucking great song. It really is. And the drum riff. I mean, you just got to go at it relentlessly for three and a half minutes. But it requires a double pedal. I didn't have a double pedal as a drummer, and I didn't have a double bass setup. Anyway, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. What a legacy. Okay, there you go. Um, Pittsburgh is going to allow 6,500 fans, all right, into the stadium for their upcoming game uh, against, uh, who is it, the Eagles, I think it is. And I believe the the Eagles are going to follow suit, hopefully. I believe the governor of Pennsylvania has said that they can allow outdoor stadiums to allow up to 15%. It's kind of dumb because you think there are people way closer to each other in everyday walks of life, and yet in a stadium, 6,000 out of 70,000 is totally spaced out. So maybe there's more places coming around on this. Tampa is going to host the Tampa Bay Tom Brady versus um, Aaron Rodgers tilt in two weeks, and they're going to have a limited live crowd there, and the tickets we checked online, and they are expensive. $800 basically get in price on up for what is going to be a limited ticket and maybe last time ever meeting between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay is putting a hold on their plans to bring back fans because uh, Green Bay and uh, the Appleton Valley area is a hot spot right now. So they said an indefinite hold. Why don't you just say a hold? indefinite hold we we know it's indefinite everything is in life is indefinite for god's sakes but okay uh let's see world series tickets have sold out in 90 minutes only the world series and the nlcs being played in the al park of globe life uh those tickets have been sold they're not gonna have any fans in southern california at least as of now probably i don't know not for a long time the NBA Finals tonight, we're going to uh, talk to Ron about this in just a sec. They are getting crushed in the ratings. I mean, it's been one low after another record low after another record low. And Game 3, which was Sunday night, which was after the drama with the president had kind of tied down, so you can't use that as a distraction or as a mitigating factor, it was on opposite the NBA Finals, a NFL game, these the uh, Eagles and the Niners, not a very good game. And it once again set a new low. That was with Jimmy Butler going crazy. And an upset where everyone thought, okay, they're just going to roll over and die. That game should have done a uh, should have done a better rating. Mm, man, my voice is close. It's close to coming back. It's just got a little bit. Why don't you go see a doctor? I'm going to go see a doctor. Okay, Settle down, everybody. <clears throat> anyway, everyone's saying, you know, the, the, the people, you know who the usual sources are piling on, the uh, 
get woke, go broke thing. And I think there's no question the NBA overdid it with their social justice messaging. No question about it. That said, I got to see what happens when the finals are back where they belong in June, back with a full-ish stadium or a full stadium of fans, and maybe without LeBron. I will entertain the possibility that LeBron has become either toxic or just played out or just unlikable to a lot of casual NBA fans because they're clearly losing the casual fans from the NBA Finals. Those who want to see a high-octane sporting event, they don't really care who wins. They want to see dudes hitting threes and strutting and the crowd going crazy and putting up the three goggles, whether it's Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or LeBron James or whoever. Without that, it's just basketball, basically. you got to be a real junkie like Ron is, and we'll talk to him in a second. But what is notable is that Rachel Nichols, in an interview with Adam Silver, got out of him that next year, Adam Silver says, they're probably not going to have much of that messaging on the court like they once had, or this year. He said, basically, yeah, the Black Lives Matter and the social justice and the things on the jerseys, it'll be more normal, he said, next year. That's pretty big right there. That's as close to an admission from Silver that, yeah, we might have overdone it. Yeah, we might have hurt ourselves just a bit. We'll see. I want to see if the NBA ratings ever get back to the 2019 levels prior to the pandemic and prior to the social justice upheaval or if it's going to be a street fight just to get back somewhere close, but they're never going to get to where they once were. This has huge ramifications, by the way, for the league going forward and for years to come. If you're somebody who has sworn off the NBA for whatever reason, whether you just hate LeBron or if you think the league is rigged or you don't like the social justice messages or whatever, if you really are like, that's it, I'm out, it's hard to get that person back. They say in business, and I'm not a businessman, that it costs, I don't know how many times as much to gain a new customer as it does to just hold on to your customers. So customer retention, I've been told, I've heard, I've read a few things, is the number one focus of just about any business. Because the cost of getting a new customer that wasn't one is so much higher and so much more difficult and requires so much effort and guesswork. It's better once you got a big pile of people to keep them. I think the NBA might have chased a lot of people away. And you can assign to their ratings whatever you want, but other ratings are not taking nearly as much of a dive. Yeah, most mostly speaking, everything is down a little bit. The NFL's basically fine. It's down. It's soft a little bit but it's not down too much. Baseball ratings were actually up 4% when you look only at the regional sports networks. The RSNs showed a 4% increase. Now you're talking with a very small number compared to football, but up is up. You can't argue with that. Up is up. The SEC's ratings are up big. In fact, the Georgia game over the weekend that had what looked like a half-full stadium, that had a 113% increase from a similar game last year. Other college football games are down. So the college football landscape as a whole, mm, hard to say. I'd say it's down, but certainly the SEC is eating right now and eating very well. And I know me as a as a casualish college football fan, I watched more of the George Auburn game because it looked like a real game. 
There's people in the stands. That's been a big thing for me. Hey, unless you've been under a rock, you know the NFL is back, college football is back, and the NBA Finals are underway. Prime betting season right now. It's winning season, though, at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but a little something-something on the game. Whether it's not that much, or maybe more than not that much, if you've got a hunch about something, is a lot more fun than just flipping around, oh, there's a game on. Get with my bookie. MyBookie.com, the official website to get your sweet action with this ZabeCast. Go there right now and put your deposit in. They will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. Pretty sweet, right? Plus, they've got a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry, and they're giving away five grand in cash prizes every four weeks. I mean, come on. Get in on this. It is the best leverage you'll ever get to win a big payday without having to risk losing a big payday. All that and more is at mybookie.com. Promo code ZABE. That's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Get that 100% dollar-for-dollar matchup. Sign up today and bet with the site I use, mybookie.com. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, it's all there at mybookie.com. Media note, Barstool apparently is out at Sirius XM. El Presidente tweeted, I'd say we're 99.9% out of Sirius. We aren't in the same stratosphere in terms of negotiations. We will just move on to new platforms as always. Our crowd will follow as always. This comes out as well as the day that it reported that Howard Stern has apparently signed a new deal with Sirius XM for $120 million. Wow. Good for him. I listen to Howard Stern from time to time because I do subscribe to SiriusXM and I keep saying to myself, you know, I should probably cancel that because it's not really worth it for me. And there's so many other options out there like the Zabecast, ding, ding, five bucks a month. Well worth it. Come on, support the cause. And I've listened to the Barstool product on SiriusXM. And I would say my criticism of their product is that their shows lack structure. They lack a sort of branding or a focus. It's just their people, yabada, yabada, yabada. Talkity, talk, talk, talk. Talkity, talk, talk, talk. There is what I consider in the business an ability once you have a certain audience through years of being on the radio, once you have your following, there is an ability to selectively at times go into what I call self-indulgent radio, where you are talking about the foibles between yourself and your co-hosts and whoever. And we do that a decent amount with me, Scott, and Solly, and we've been together for a long time. I am always very conscious of, okay, how long have I been going on about inside baseball or personal stuff? Or if we're talking about a personal experience, is it relatable to everybody else? When People on the radio or on satellite or wherever get so personal and mundane and it doesn't have any relatability, it's self-indulgent radio and it's usually bad. I got that feeling from the Barstool products. I never felt like, okay, here's this show on SiriusXM. This is what they're about. They've got a kind of a theme. There's a little bit of an organization to them. And okay, I I get it. I, I like, I get it and I like it. I'm coming back. It was all just sort of scattershot, but whatever. Would I like to be back on Sirius XM? Yes. Yes. Hell yes. A million times. Hell yes. 
even though I'm threatening to cancel my subscription, it's still a platform that has lots of installation and lots of people listening. And yeah, I'd love to be back on. So who knows? Probably not a place for me, right? They only have 248 channels and half of them are blank or announcing the schedule or giving you the weather, traffic in other cities. I know. I don't get the business. All right, let's talk to our man, Ron A. Thomas. Hello, Steven. I am opting out of your traditional intro music for one of the great rock songs of all time, Jump by Van Halen. Can you hear this down the line? I can't. Interesting. It's some setting but I, on my... Believe me, I know what it sounds like. Oh, I like. know you do. <laughs> I thought you were going to play Eruption, maybe. Could have done that as well. Uh, I mean, so many to choose from. I'm watching the... Uh, I'm watching the video for the first time since probably high school, and I was instantly, Ron, teleported back to being a senior in high school at Langley High School and just all the flood of memories and emotions, where I heard this song, what I was feeling at the time, my friends at the time, what my life was like, and that is the power and the essence of music itself, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. There it's a was, memory uh, machine is what music is. It is, especially if you got to see them live. Any band, I'm saying. But uh, there was nothing that compared to a Van Halen show. My first show was 1984, and that was the Jump Tour. I sent you the ticket stubs. Yes, Ronnie sent me a bunch of ticket stubs uh, to prove his Van Halen bona fides. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so good. It, it was just so good. and. <laughs> Every song on the album was so good. Uh, at least you could find goodness in every song. I mean, some of them weren't for everybody's liking because some people were just into what was on the radio. But Well, here's, the, was, here's what's interesting. I said that you know my band, my garage band, played Jump, and we played a couple other Van Halen songs because I said they were relatively simple and they could be picked up by your average teenager with a guitar. What I failed to remember, and I watched it again, was that Eddie Van Halen's guitar solos were fucking unbelievable and incredibly hard and technical. Uh, I know from a drumming standpoint, it wasn't that hard, and the basic structure of the song wasn't that hard on many of the songs. No, and uh, of course he had the cigarette on the end of the Mm -hmm. guitar. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Eddie was the best, and the whole story, you know, the whole identity of with Valerie Bertinelli as a wife and she was so hot and they were just, they epitomized and you went to school in California. You went to UC Santa Barbara. So you know how big they were when you got out there. Of course, by then they had broken up. I think, let's see, you graduated in 86 or 85, 86 in high school. And yeah. Then went so, to the Harvard of the West. Yes, you did. So, Steve, I have been communicating with my friend, Greg, and he, if you're able to pull this off, I have his phone number and he's sitting by and we can have the foremost historian and author in the world on Van Halen. If you can call him right now, he's ready. Well, shit. Uh, go ahead. And uh, can you, you want me to add the call right now? Yes, please. His okay. name's Greg. His book is Van Halen Rising and 
this I mean it's the best book that's ever been written about Van Did, Halen. Can you text me the number? <clears throat> I can tell you right now over the phone if you want it. Well, I'd have to edit it out. Then. All right, I'll text it to you, but he's sitting by. So All right, hold if on. You text it to me. I think I could just punch it on the phone and then connect our calls. Right. I think we'll see about that. But yeah, so this is your buddy from where now? Uh, University of Maryland. Okay, I met him. He's from New Jersey. I met him in the dorms, Ellicott dorm. And uh, we all became extremely close right off the bat. A lot of it was through music. If you need to go ahead here, you go ahead and worry about texting that to me. I want to just continue and comment a little bit about this jump video. I had forgotten just how flexible David Lee Roth was. He does jumps and splits and kicks in this video that are insane. In tight leather pants as well. And he had like the tassels hanging off of him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But what's great, too, is that, you know, Eddie is just so happy and easy in the video. His smile is so genuine. It's not forced. And he is just playing that guitar like, you know, here we go. You know, I always bring up Indiana. Of course, you have a lot of Indiana listeners, but uh, David Lee Roth was... Hold on, I'm going back to my call here. David Lee Roth grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Spent time there. His parents were very intelligent people. They were inspectors at Indiana University. By the way, Eddie is playing the keyboard there on this extended keyboard solo. Yeah, he did did it all. I just sent you the number. If If we can... Meanwhile, if David we, Lee Roth is doing absolute splits five feet off the ground. Yeah, and you know what a highlight of the... Oh, hold on a second. Okay, I'm calling, and I'm about to merge the calls. It's Greg. Greg, Steve Zabin. Ron, are you with us? Hold on. Hold on a second. Merging <laughs> calls. There we go! There we go! Are we in? We're in! Greg, how you doing, Greg, buddy? You're live on the Zabecast. Oh, my God. This is a dream. Greg the, Renoff, the author of Ron <laughs> You know, I haven't told him, Greg. Well, this is a, a podcast. It's very popular. And the people who listen to this are just going to love your insight on Van Halen. But I haven't even told the story because we just started about our trip in Will's Chevy uh, Vega or whatever we okay. drove. Whoa, 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 Ron, Ron, slow down here. Slow down. <laughs> we here. drove to Richmond, Ron! Virginia to see them. <laughs> Ron, slow down yeah. here. Please give a proper introduction. Good, solid radio formatics here. Proper introduction to our guest. All right, Greg Renoff is uh, the author of Van Halen Rising, which is easily the best and most insightful and most well-done book uh, on Van Halen. It's about how a garage band from California saved heavy metal. And, uh, Greg, it's just great to have you on, brother. Greg, I know it is, it's a, it it's a sad day. It's it a, is sad a sad day. day. I, I'm, you, you've actually made me laugh for the first time in a, many hours. I uh, Ron and I go way back, and we're old friends, and it's a, uh, great to hear your voice, and I'm glad to talk. But, yes, it is. It's just sad. It's a sad thing. I mean, it's the end of an era. Really. So, is. so Greg, you knew Ron at Maryland. <laughs> I did know Ron at Maryland. <laughs> we listened to a lot of Van Halen together, and that's an actually a very happy memory. So, we yeah. a lot of Van Halen together so when, did, when did you write this book? 
So I wrote the book. It came out in 2015. So I wrote it um, you know, over the two or three years leading up to 2015. Are you a writer? Are you a journalist? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a recovering academic. I actually um, taught college for a lot of years. And then uh, when my wife and I had children and we ended up moving to Tulsa for her job, I ended up leaving academia. And so I write full time and uh, I'm also a full time. Uh, what would you call me? Uh, gigolo. Teacher now. Full time gigolo. <laughs> I'm just a gigolo. You right? really, you really <laughs> have no idea what my life is like right now, but thank you for that that, that momentary pleasure. Dude, so, so, so I find it funny you call yourself a recovering academic. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a whole separate podcast, Ron. We're not going to get yeah, into that. Yeah, now. Sure. I, I was a college professor for a lot of years. I really enjoyed it in all seriousness. And it was, uh, but uh, yeah, I left academia in uh, well, 2015 and then kind of transitioned to doing full time writing and parenting and all that good stuff. So good for well, you. Steve, Steve, when I hit up Greg just moments ago, he said uh, he didn't answer the first time. Then he sent me a text and said, I'm tutoring a, one of my students for an exam tomorrow. Can I talk later? And I was persistent. I said, Well, we're getting ready to do this podcast. But anyway, Greg, what uh, what was your interest into Van Halen? Was it did it go back to the college days or was it pre college? I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, I I started um, listening to Van Halen when I was a like a freshman or sophomore in high school, and I saw them on the 1984 tour, and that really did it for me. I mean, that was that was what made me a a fan. And then uh, you know, the years go on, and I ended up writing a book on Van Halen. It's just a product really of me being a fan and then um, being a historian. I um, you know, went to grad school, got a PhD in history, and then kind of became uh, obvious to me that no one was going to write the early days story if I didn't write it. And I thought uh, it was a great way to kind of think about the band in a different sort of way that wasn't sort of the quote unquote fame years that everyone kind of knew generally about. But it's been there, as Ron said, when we first got on their backyard party days when they were just, you know, kids, they were like 18, 19 year old kids just making 100 bucks a night. Um, playing keggers, basically, you know, that's what they did, and they just put the money four ways. And it's a, it was a great, I thought, a great um, American success story. And the brothers coming from Holland when they were very young, and then coming to the United States, and you know, they they really lived the American dream. And it's it's uh, hard to imagine there's going to be no Eddie Van Halen um, on the planet anymore because it was you know, such a huge part of my life and so part of everybody's life as a fan. Your uh, your subtitle is how a Southern California backyard party band saved heavy metal tell me how they saved heavy metal and yeah, i never so, i never considered van halen heavy metal but maybe i didn't understand it well so the the subtitle of the book speaks to the fact that in 1978 when they came out they would have been called by people in the industry anyone who was a fan heavy metal so at the time like queen could have been called heavy metal like heart Anything was kind of like loud, arena Heart? rock with guitars, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I mean, even wow. like, again, it, 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 it was just like a term that has changed. Like we think about it like Metallica or Slayer or right. any number of other bands that have nothing to do with what Van Halen is. But basically, um, yeah, it was just meant to be like guitar-driven hard rock for arenas. That would have been like heavy metal. And so um, the argument of the book is that in 1978 when Van Halen came out, the music that was popular at the time – I mean, disco, soft rock, um, punk rock was getting increasingly popular. And really, a band like Van Halen was seen by people in the industry, meaning record company executives who would sign bands. It's kind of like like watered over Black Sabbath, watered over Deep Purple, like kind of like old, you know, just basically a rehash of the old sound of the early 70s. And so that's what I meant by 
stage heavy metal was that they just they came out and they were able to have this double platinum record in a year when you know Blondie was huge, the Bee Gees were huge. It's mm. just the sound was very different, and so those guys kind of came and wo- wo- you know waved the flag for that kind of hard rock. Again, we would call it hard rock today, but at the time in '78, they were called a, a heavy metal band. And Greg, and you're doing your research. I know you did not get full cooperation from the band. You had to go deep into right. pro- producers and right, even, sure. yeah, friends, deep into friends. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, I mean, the thing for, for me in trying to do the, the book, I really wanted to tell the story of them before they were famous. And the thing that was kind of cool about that was obviously before you're famous – you can really rub elbows with a lot of people that later in life probably wouldn't have access to you. And so these would have been guys they went to high school with, bar owners, promoters, girlfriends. Um, you know, they were just they were just kids from the neighborhood. And that was the cool thing to, to talk to these folks because it was, you know, you can imagine, um, you know, Ron, you're, you were a great high school high school athlete. A lot of people could look back and say, you know, I saw X star now who's in the NFL or the NBA playing. Yep you know, before they were famous. And it's sort of that special thing. Like I saw this talent before everyone else did. Um, and that's what the people who grew up with Van Halen could kind of say that they saw them in backyards yeah. and play these nightclubs. There might've been 20 people there at a nightclub, but you know, you could say, Hey, I was there and saw this band before they were, they were famous. So, and they were um, probably more than anxious to talk about it because no yeah. one had really done this, what you were doing, this kind of correct. A book. Correct. And you know, it was, it was meant to be also kind of, I wanted the book to capture that dazed and confused scene Yes. Of the time, I mean, that's exactly that. Really, is exactly the time when Van Halen was coming up at seventy four, seventy five. So, in like a lot of ZZ Top, they played, they played right. a lot of yeah, you know, all that that early seventies um, Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin Hard Rock, and so that was the cool thing too. It kind of captured that, um, you know, before people knew cocaine was addictive, and before <laughs> you know, before people knew about AIDS, all, kind of all the things that were sort of like you know, which sure. are parcel of our life and. You know, growing up um, in a later... Wouldn't the first person to have done cocaine, wouldn't the first thing they would have said is, holy shit, this stuff's addictive. I want more of this. That's coming from a dude who's never done cocaine who's saying that, too. That's a whole (laughs) Hey, so tell us, uh, Greg, we don't have a ton of time, but tell us something we we need to know. Why are you rushing Okay, good. Does Greg have another 10 minutes? Let's just get into this here. I got a few questions. Tell me something about Eddie Van Halen that the average person wouldn't know. God, I mean, the thing the average person wouldn't know about Eddie Van Halen, I mean, I think he was really a shy person. I think that a lot of people, when they would look at him jumping on stage and he was a great showman, kind of assumed that it was sort of natural bravado. But he was really a person who, when they first started out, um, when he would sing, people told me that Eddie had long hair. Again, this would have been like 1971. He would have been like 16. He'd let his hair fall on his face almost like – you know, Kurt Cobain style, like you couldn't right, even see his right. face and I'm like, cause he was, you know, he wouldn't move around and he was really very, very shy. And I think that that kind of continued his whole life. He was never, you know, super comfortable with the fame aspects of being a rock star. He would talk about how I'm a musician, not a rock star. Like he would kind of, when people hmm. say you're a rock star, he kind of would get irritated at that going, no, I'm a musician. Like the rock star thing kind of came with what I did, but that was not, you know, that, and that's kind of the difference there between David Lee Roth and, and Eddie was that Dave was much more of a, you know, he was a, he was a rock star. He fully embraced that whole rock star thing. Whereas, you know, for all Eddie's fame and international acclaim and playing the biggest stadiums in the world, he, I don't think he was ever super comfortable mm. doing how they, yeah. how they all meet Greg. Yeah. Just they quickly, met, uh, you know, an overview. Yeah. They met in, uh, in a, basically at a backyard party. Um, David Lee Roth spotted his brothers playing, um, 
with their band. The brothers had their own band, and uh, Dave approached them <laughs> and basically pitched himself as their singer. And, of course. Uh, you know, Dave. <laughs> the reason it's funny is because Dave was not a very good singer, you know, but he basically sold himself to the Van Halen brothers, and wow. you know, it formed one of the great partnerships of all time. And you know, for all the sadness of today is and i've had a lot of moments it's been really it's been hard I and mean, it's just kind of it's hard to accept he's gone um to think about this you know quirky jewish guy from pasadena who's got some money meeting up with these dutch brothers who think <laughs> dave's kind of a wacko right and and and, and, and Roth thinks the brothers are like you know kind of like you know basically socially backwards in some sort of way because they don't get it like they don't get like what it means to be a star so to speak for those guys to all get together and form a band is it's just an incredible, incredible story. I mean, it really is. And um, so that would have been around 1973 and yeah, they stuck it out. That's the other thing that's great about the Van Halen story is the, the guys in the band, they stuck it out through a lot of years where other people packed it in and said, ah, we're never going to make it. Those guys believed and they stuck it well, out. So they got well, to be, well, that begs the question. That begs the question. Why did they break up? Who couldn't get along oh, with God. whom? <laughs> money fame jealousy right yeah, we don't money a, fame jealousy it's the same story hour, it's every behind the music that vh1's ever done right uh, yeah why did they break up i mean i think i think the ultimate reason why they broke up is there was a communication breakdown between roth and eddie and then the other question is whose band was it i think that for the brothers they firmly believe to the very end it was their band they started it, it was their name you know and by 1985 when roth was sort of at the peak of his his fame and he wanted to make a movie and he made a solo record with just jiggle and all that stuff. Uh, I think they really took it personally that he was in their view using their name and their band name to basically put himself on the tonight, literally put himself on the tonight show, put himself right. on these you know, late night shows. So there's a lot more to it than that, but I think, you know, it was uh, the brothers band ultimately and they put their, uh, their foot down and said, see ya. What is the musical essence of Van Halen? What is the oh, core God. of their brilliance? You know, for me, the core of the brilliance is going to be the songs, and that's really going to come from heavily from Eddie, who wrote, you know, most if not all the music that they um, came up for in the albums. But it's it's you know, even whether it's Hagar or whether it was Roth, there was um, you know just something about Eddie's ability to get on with singers and get in a room and write these these great songs. Um, that was a great thing for them hooking up a Sammy was that Sammy was able to step in and not replace Dave, so to speak, which is basically be the guy who could take Eddie's musical ideas and turn them into singable melodies. You know, Eddie didn't really come up with the melodies. He didn't come up with the words, but you know, Hagar had that same gift in some ways that Roth did. They're very different, but they were able to kind of translate the Eddie Van Halen music parts, the song ideas, the, un, you know, the almost finished songs and make them into songs. So, well, yeah, they had tremendous hits afterwards. I mean, that's the concert we saw. I'll never forget it. The 5150 tour, I think, maybe, where we went to Richmond and watched yep. them. I mean, they still had so many wonderful hits. And when I hear them, there's not a band, Steve and Greg, in my opinion, that has lost a singer or broken up like this and that has that still was this good afterwards. Now, of course, you can have the diehards who are going to be saying, oh, that was a bunch of bullshit. You know, I don't like that. But that's a shallow mind because... They made really good music afterwards. And and what I want to ask you, Greg, is how hard was it for Eddie and Alex and Michael to continue? I'm sure they wanted to keep making music, but did they have to search for Sammy or did Sammy come to them or how, how yeah, did they I mean, do that? The, the story basically is that uh, that um, <laughs> you're in love with Sammy and uh, Eddie, both like Ferraris. And the story goes that Eddie 
um, was in the Ferrari shop getting his Ferrari fixed. And the guy in, in LA, um, this guy named Claudio, who was a kind of a high end Ferrari mechanic said, what's wrong? Eddie, you look sad. You know, he's a Italian guy. And he said, well, you know, my singer just quit and I don't know what's going to happen with the band. And the guy who said, well, you should call Sammy. And supposedly that's the story. Oh, um, in fact, if you watch, I do have to jump off after this, unfortunately guys, but if okay. you check out the, I can't drive 55 video, the very beginning when Sammy's mm-hmm. driving the, the Ferrari, that's the famous Ferrari that Sammy had taken to be repaired. So that's right wow. before Sammy joined Van Halen. So, um, yeah, it's it. an interesting, uh, an interesting thing there, but you know, it was, it was a great partnership. I, I think uh, like, uh, Ron is indicating there's a lot of people who just want to like, you know, be very tribal about what vent type of Van Halen they like, but, um, yeah, you know, they, see, like I don't, you said, they continued on. I don't do that on, shit. I like, I like all the Van Halen. I like both flavors. They made, uh, two, three, <laughs> four, four, four albums and a live album with, with Hagar and they were, you know, they sold millions and millions of records with him too. So yeah, it's, it was definitely a great feat for them to just turn it around. Um, after Dave leaves, leaves and then go on and have uh, great success with Sammy. So, Greg, one last question. You yes, knew sir. the producer. You talked to him. You made another book. What's the name of your net, your second book? Oh, it's Ted Templeman, a platinum producer's life in music. So, Ted is the guy who not only produced Van Halen, but he also produced uh, Sammy. So he was the record producer that I Can't Drive 55 with Sammy, and so made a lot of all the Juby Brothers songs on the radio that you guys know, everyone knows. That's Ted T- Templeman too. So it was a wow. great honor to write his story and. Yeah, awesome. it's uh, anyway. I appreciate a bit of uh, just it was nice to talk to you guys. Awesome, thank Greg. You. It was um, nice to, to meet up. you. Thank you for your Greg, time. Thank you, brother. All Love right, you. Man, we'll talk again. All right. All right, there I you take go. Take care, bud. You just See hang ya. up, Ron. You stay right there. Okay. As I play right. the uh, I can't drive '55 official video and look at that Ferrari right there with Sammy oh, Hagar. Oh, this thing is running <laughs> great. It's I wish you could hear so it. I don't know why you can't hear it. I'm just so glad you were willing. You did that. Faintly in the background. Look out, Jack. Hey. Yes, I can. Wait, hold on. I'm gone. I never liked that song. You didn't? No, it's just too cheesy. Too cheesy. That's my personal taste. It's a banger, as the kids say. It was, but it wasn't my gig. All right, so uh, maybe the, the best, the ultimate Van Halen song. What is it for you? Is it Eruption and You Really Got Me? And isn't You Really Got Me a remake of a Kinks song? Uh, or is it an original? Really Look that well, one up. Because no, I can't they remember. They did quite a few remakes. They, um, What's great know, about did... this Eruption is it's just this you know tangled ball of an amazing guitar solo. And yes. then out of this flaming wreckage of a guitar solo comes this great riff. And to open a set and open a concert with that was something else. Yep, yep. Now I one of my probably my favorite song was um I love the song I'll Wait. I'll wait till my love come and I just yeah, that's a good one. I just lo- yeah, I love that. And I also, there's a song called Ice Cream Man. People yeah. were all singing Ice Cream Man. But there's so many songs. Of course, I haven't listened to Van Halen in a while. Um, I will probably tomorrow. But it's, like you said, it was such a huge part of my childhood, especially getting ready for uh, getting ready for ball games, you know, on the team bus heading for a football game. You were listening to time. it on a yellow clamshell walk man like me no right? I, I had the big silver one the huge one, the first one that came out <laughs> not but even the sport just, one was it a headset nah, or was, was it a boom box nah, were you playing headset. it for the whole team like hey team 
How about no, some? This was a, some Van this Halen. Was a Sony Walkman One. I still have it too. But I, you know, he's gone. I just, uh, I don't know. You wonder if cigarettes killed him or what killed him. But well, probably didn't help. Throat cancer. He'd been battling it for ten years. Hold yeah, on. Yeah. I, I wish you could listen. I'm just getting to the uh, part. Here we go. Here we go. And out of the fire. Fucking a yeah. Yep. And then yeah. they just See, drop I... in. They drop in with the heavy drum beat, backing guitars, and then the vocals. And, and, and listen, people that are listening to this, there is more than a you know. There's a really good chance that seven out of the ten people listening to this were Van Halen fans. It's Probably, that yeah. Yeah, it's they We've were got, that popular. Yeah, I've got younger listeners, but hopefully, if you're somebody young. That is hooked into Van Halen and is a big fan. I want to hear from you because I dig it when the younger dudes are like, hey, I know this band is for you old, you old fuddy-duddies, but I've listened and it's good <laughs> shit. Yep. So let me, t- I'll tell you a quick story. I, I don't know how much time you have, but we all just met. We, we met in our dorm, Ellicott 4 at the University of Maryland. These guys from New Jersey, this Indiana kid, me, I'm like, you know, he's, what's up with these New Jersey kids? They're characters. They're total characters. <laughs> so we get into uh, we get into Guns N' Roses, but we really got hard into Van Halen. So none of us have any cars except for one dude, Wade Bueller, who is from Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. So Bueller. we get in his Bueller. Chevy. I forget what it was called. It was like one of those little Chevy box things. Well, six of us get in this thing. And haul ass down 95 and go to Richmond Coliseum for a um, for a festival seating or what's it called? You know where there's no no reserve seating. So we get there, we make banners, we do the whole fucking thing. So we get there, we we run into the Richmond Coliseum when the doors open. We get front row. We have to sit there for like two and a half hours. We watch the opening band. I don't remember who it was, but then Van Halen comes out. And again, this was with Sammy, but. He takes, this is the biggest moment of our lives up to this point. We made this tarp that said Van Halen rocks the Terps. And Terps we did in the red and white pattern of Eddie's guitar. And they hold it up on stage. It was like, we were like, oh my God, losing our mind. Uh, Like Eddie had one side of it and Sammy had the other. And then Sammy, we threw up a corduroy University of Maryland hat and Sammy wore it backwards during I Can't Drive 55. And for us... That's, yeah, we were this, that's the greatest we were, moment of your life. Yeah, Sammy Hagar we so, took so, our hat and was wearing it. That's yeah, so awesome. And the most incredible thing about this trip was that that, that little piece of shit car made it down and back. Uh, you know, and we were doing like 85, of course, but yeah. just memories. That's, and Steve, you know. That's the thing, man. It brings you back. It brings you back to the best of times, the music that was your favorite music. Right. Well, and and. And something else I want to say to you is that, you know, today I played my first senior event, the Maryland State Senior Open, first round. But Way to go, I'm, old guy. But, but how that relates to what I'm talking about is when I remember looking at a senior golfer and thinking, wow, those guys are old. You know, or, or not that they're old, but they're so much older than me. Yeah. And I'm playing, and time flies. That's my point. Like, I, I remember that day 30 years ago, 1988, 32 years ago, being at that concert. I remember nearly every moment of it. And just like that, 32 years goes by. It's just incredible so how quick the lesson. How, how, how quickly time goes by. So what's I mean, the you, lesson? You, 
Uh, oh, uh, you're right. Live it. I know. Embrace every moment. Which Embrace you're doing, everything. and I love what you're doing. And you're, oh, God, my voice. <clears throat> Excuse right. me. You're doing it. You're playing. You're playing a lot of golf these days, a lot of competitions. I love it. You're playing with your son. Winston just won an event at Swan Point, a golf course that I used to schlep all the way down. Can you believe, knowing where I live, that me yeah. and my no accounts would go drive down to Swan Point some 65 miles away just because it was a new upscale public course in the D.C. area? And really, D.C. area is a stretch. Way the no, fuck it's all the way away. down on the Potomac River, but it's kind of it's when you go there, you feel like you're going away. It's almost like you're in feels like you're in Myrtle South, Beach, you know, South Carolina or Myrtle Beach or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. hard golf uh, course, fun golf. But course. I got to I got to caddy for him. That's another topic. I I got to caddy for Winston, and boy, is that hard because you just want him. You know, I'm, he won, and that's wonderful. Competition wasn't the hardest. I'll just say that quietly. Who, but who he still cares winning. No, I know. Play I know. But I win. have to. But but I have to be transparent. You know. I mean, he beats some good players. I know. But it's so hard to be on that bag because why? Want to be so well. You just you want him to do so well. You want every shot because you know me. I mean, I know as a player how disappointing it is when you hit. A pretty bad, bad shot. shot, and kids that or age you, are going to hit you, pretty bad or shot. Or you choke a little bit, or you make a bad decision. How many times are you, and you're allowed to give him advice, right? Oh, no, I'm in it. I'm his caddy. Okay. I'm there. So you're allowed yeah. to say, okay, look, Winston, we want to avoid that bunker there. Let's just put it up here. Mm-hmm. Does he push back on you like, Dad, Dad, I can do this? Or does he just uh, take what you say and go with it? No, I give him the options. If He, he has final say. He's the player, Good. and he, yeah, just like a normal caddy would. Oh, but, um, there's, it's just such a wonderful moment to be out there with him. And we've competed together. You know, we've, he and I have wanted father son together, but I just, you know, I'm in a really good place right now, Steve. I don't, I just am in a really, really good place. I'm happy. Of course, the weather has a lot to do with it. It stopped raining and it's not 90 fucking five degrees. Are you, but, can I uh, ask if you're off Facebook still? Uh, yeah. Off Are Facebook. you completely don't lie to me? One. No, I am one. No wonder. No wonder why you're so much happier. No wonder. That certainly helps, amongst other things. Clean living, sober living, doing what you love, playing golf, being with your son. Good shit right there, Ronnie. All right, no time for the NBA Finals. We'll do it next week, okay? When it's all. There's nothing to talk about, it's dog shit. (laughs) So <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk about it then <laughs> next time. Right. I go out with a live version of Van Halen. I can't drive fifty five from right. nineteen eighty six. All right, buddy. Thank you, Steve. See you, pal. Take care, buddy. All right. Quick COVID points. I promise won't take more than two minutes. Then we're done. Top German virologist. Ooh, the Germans. The Germans. Come on, Zabe. You going to play the Germans? Yeah, you got to play the Germans. All right. Top German virologist. Here we go. Burns and the Germans. Oh, another Friday is upon us. Oh. What will you be doing, Smithies? Something oh, no. gay, no doubt. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> Ooh, the Germans are mad at me. I'm so scared. Ooh, the Germans. Uh-oh, the stop Germans it. are coming to get stop me. Easy, guys. Oh, don't let the Germans come after Please me. Please stop the pretending oh, no, you're scared game. Top German virologist comes out and says, look, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, this thing is way, way less deadly than we thought at first. 
all these interventions are having virtually no provable positive effect. And more importantly, we're causing a lot of harm here, 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 and here. This needs to end. So maybe it's not just some people in this country that people politically hate. There's other people around the world, and they're out there. You can find them. You can read them. Doctors, epidemiologists, other countries that are saying, what are we doing here? Florida update. Ten days ago, Governor Ron DeSantis lifted all restrictions. A lot of people freaked out. Well, ten days later, they've checked the reproductive rate of the virus. It has not budged. It was .097. Ten days ago, it's .097. Now, could go up again. Virus going to virus, but right now, so far, so good. 70,000 college tests have been collated or gathered or put into a spreadsheet. Someone's been tracking the number of reported collegiate coronavirus positive tests. So 70,000 positive tests on college campuses. Hospitalizations, three. Oh, 3,000? No, three. 300? No. Three hospitalizations, zero deaths. And that's 70,000 positives. Think of all the negative tests. If the positivity rate on that is about 6%, I'm guessing, which is around the national average, maybe more, call it 10%. That's uh, 10%, 70,000, that's uh, seven, seven million? Seven million. Seven million college tests. Oof. Three hospitalizations, zero deaths. Okay. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers limiting bars and restaurants to 25% capacity until after the election. Hmm. Okay. And then there's this must-read article on herd immunity by Martin Koldorf, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and a biostatistician and epidemiologist specializing in spread of infectious diseases. Wow, this guy's from Harvard, and he's all that? It sounds like he's a smart guy. Here's what he says. Quote, the pandemic will not be over until we reach herd immunity, either through a vaccine or through natural infections. Herd immunity is not a strategy, but a proven scientific phenomenon. And to deny that is as silly as denying gravity. With the right strategy, we can even use it to save lives. Under the vaccine scenario, he writes, the, the right strategy is to protect the elderly and other high-risk groups until they're protected by herd immunity, while the younger generations keep society afloat. Under the second scenario of natural immunity, the right strategy is to protect the elderly and other high-risk groups until they're protected by herd immunity, while the younger generation keeps society afloat. If these two strategies sound about the same, writes Professor Koldorf, Harvard Medical School, they are. And that is true. But truth these days seemingly is increasingly forbidden to be spoken. All right. Ending on something positive. Have you seen the video that has come out of a snowball fight recorded by cinema pioneers, the Lumiere brothers in France in 1896. It is one of the earliest motion picture clips that has been preserved. 
and documented. And they took the clip, they colorized it a bit, and they had the speed adjusted because I think the old-timey films went super fast. Anyhow, it's an incredible video. I've watched it a bunch of times. I, I look at it and I'm like, how do I know this was not shot in modern times? And I'm looking for every little tell, like, wait a minute, that guy in the background has got, got an iPhone. That can't be real. It got me to thinking of, I'd love to see all of the first film of this, the first film of that, the first film of whatever. And the more we can sort of preserve, fluff up, colorize, speed adjust, clean up, the better. Although I would like to see them in their original state. Just because as a video nerd, as a hobbyist, I think to myself, man, the tools we have now are so good, so insanely good for the consumer. And yet, 120 years ago, the first person to be able to record motion, some act that happened in real life, not a painting, not even a photograph, which was revolutionary when it was invented, but motion pictures. I mean, that's the stuff of pure voodoo back in the day. And they were figuring out how to do it. And I could just imagine them looking around like, wow, we got it. Look at that snowball fight. Pretty cool stuff. Is it as cool as a cat video on TikTok? Mm, Probably not. But it's cool to me, a video nerd. That'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening and being a loyal ZabeCast fan. Remember, this is not a full-blown recap of everything that's happened in sports or otherwise in a 24-hour period. It is just to supplement stuff that I have not gotten to in my otherwise six hours on the radio, 6 to 9 a.m. on the game in Milwaukee, 97.3, and on 980 in D.C. from 3 to 6 in the afternoon. Tune into both of those. Tell a couple friends. Spread the word. And if you want to support this podcast and the overall efforts, then subscribe to Fridays and get Football Five Ways Fridays. Yes, my picks went one and two, but my lock came home. So the lock is four, 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 and oh. And I'm going to make you money again this Friday. Thanks so much for listening. Tell a couple friends. Have a great Wednesday. And we will see you next time. Hey, unless you've been under a rock, you know the NFL is back, college football is back, and the NBA Finals are underway. Prime betting season right now. It's winning season, though, at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but a little something-something on the game. Whether it's not that much or maybe more than not that much if you've got a hunch about something is a lot more fun than just flipping around. Oh, there's a game on. Get with my bookie. Mybookie.com, the official website to get your sweet action with this Zabecast. Go there right now and put your deposit in. They will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. Pretty sweet, right? Plus, they've got a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry and they're giving away five grand in cash prizes every four weeks. I mean, come on. Get in on this. It is the best leverage you'll ever get to win a big payday without having to risk losing a big payday. 
All that and more is at mybookie.com. Promo code ZABE. That's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Get that 100% dollar for dollar matchup. Sign up today and bet with the site I use, mybookie.com. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, it's all there at mybookie.com.